welcome to our second episode of Legacy Listening. I'm your host, Nancy Predahl, Lampernearson President and CEO. As an advocate for building resiliency and value in our communities and for our people, I am passionate about deepening our impact around these conversations. Through each episode of our quarterly podcast, we will learn from unique and dynamic voices across the communities we serve. Staying in the know about how we can all leave a legacy strengthens our ability to deliver visions of a better tomorrow. Our guest today is keynote speaker, trainer, and author Jason Lorenzen. With over two decades of management studying and practicing under his belt, Jason liberates managers from outdated practices with the goal of cultivating human potential at work while simultaneously improving people's lives. This past spring, the Lampernearson team benefited from Jason's Future of Work leadership course. His experience ranges from startups to Fortune 1000 executives. Relentlessly curious about human behavior, Jason's passion for fixing management started at an early age and is galvanized in his commitment to find a better way for the professional world. He is the author of two books, Unlocking High Performance, How to Use Performance Management to Engage and Empower Employees to Reach Their Full Potential, and Social Gravity, Harnessing the Natural Laws of Relationships. Jason, we're so pleased you could join us today. I am thrilled to be here. As you know, Jason, our company's mission statement is leaving a legacy of enduring improvements to our communities. How does our purpose statement of leaving a legacy resonate with you? Well, I think it speaks to... It speaks to me pretty deeply because one of the sort of, I guess, driving principles I have in my life is to leave every person or situation I find better than the way I found it. And I think mm-hmm. ultimately that's what legacy is all about, right? When you when you interact with someone, when you um, participate in something, when you take on any kind of challenge that you leave it better than you found it. And I think that's um, that's something I've always admired about your organization and the work you do. So I think it, it was a good alignment when we had the opportunity to work together. You know, so in speaking of that, Jason, you've got decades of experience behind you, but, you know, the insight that you've coined as your secret weapon by leaders who seek to create a more engaging work experience for their people is you have to be authentic. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you don't bring that authentic self to the table, you, you really can't get that leaving a legacy. You can't have that connection that people seek. So how does storytelling, being vulnerable and telling stories, how does that impact the work that you do? How do you define, imply that authentic story process? Well, I think for me, one of the things I I have realized increasingly um, as I've done this work over a long period of time is that something that I I have always, since a very early age, been interested in I started reading like motivational books and books about behavior and all of that sort of fairly early on, um, particularly in college, even when I was studying biology, I somehow found my way into this. And I was always fascinated by that. I was fascinated by <clears throat> how relationships worked. I was always fascinated about like how can we have better conversations and connection with people. And as I as I made my way into, you know, a decade in corporate HR and then studying employee engagement and management, ultimately, the deeper I got into that work is oftentimes when we talk about organization, we're talking about processes and systems, and we, we talk about work almost like it's this thing that's separate from the human experience mm-hmm. or separate from relationship or separate from all of that. And I, 
have increasingly come to realize that like it's it's really not all right that at the at the heart or the root of I think the problems we're trying to solve at work, whether that be engagement or retention or getting people to feel more engaged um, or more committed or loyal or whatever, all of that I think boils down to an ability to make an authentic human connection. It's about being able to have real conversations. It's about, um, you know, and, and that requires authenticity. That requires us to connect on a, on a very personal level. And so for me, as if I'm to do this work effectively, if I'm to lead and teach and unlock people and teach them how to do this, what I have found is that it's really powerful to connect it back to, it has to connect to my story. Mm-hmm. And so I talk a lot about my own story, my own journey. I also tell a lot of stories about how relationship and connection has, you know, the lessons I've learned about that outside of work, because I really, I mean, humans don't stop being human when they come to work. And that's, I think, at the heart of everything we're trying to do when we're trying to create great organizations is is to bring that sort of humanness and put it at the center of it. You know, when I think about that, I also think about the trust it requires to mm-hmm. do that. So establishing and maintaining a culture of belonging requires a shift from awareness to empathy and demonstrating inclusive leadership behaviors that create trust between colleagues and clients alike. And what do you feel is the most important or most beneficial way to build a bridge as a leader using a cultivating mindset and to create that trust base? Well, for me, the key in there, the, the, the key word for me, as you well know, based on the, the training we did, is cultivation or cultivating. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the, at the heart of what I teach is helping leaders and managers make this mindset shift. And, and it's at the, you know, this mindset shift is sort of, the, sort of the first thing or one of the most foundational things that you have to do, I think, to really build that kind of authentic human connection that builds trust and gets all the stuff we're after. And it, it comes from my, my background growing up on a farm and realizing that at some point along the way, as I was working in HR and I'm looking at all these HR systems and all these sometimes ridiculous things we were doing in HR, um, in the name, you know, in the name of human management or human performance, um, management that made no sense. And it, it occurred to me as I started thinking about and reflecting on how farmers think about their work or how they, what they do, that, you know, farmers are in the growth business, they're in the mm-hmm. performance business, um, but they spend no time really worrying about whether or not a, a seed has the potential to become its very best self, right? They trust deeply that, like, when you put that seed in the ground, if I put it in the right spot, I get it what it needs it will grow into the best version of itself. That, and so my job, the commitment as the farmer is, okay, I've got to make sure that, that seed's put in the right spot, that you know, I'm making sure it has what it needs during its different stages of growth. I make sure that I'm keeping obstacles out of the way. And they call that work cultivation um, in farming. And I mean, a, a more, and, and so I thought, like, what I realized is like, wow, that's it, right? That's it. That's what we're missing is that so much of the way we've been taught to manage people at work historically sort of treats people more like machinery and machinery don't work unless you plug them in and you, and you turn them on and you have to like, you have to, you have to be actively involved in getting a machine to produce output seeds, 
human things grow and perform naturally. And so the key is what can we do? How do we make sure um, that we're that we're doing that work. So the work of management is meeting needs and removing obstacles. And so I guess more simply put, for those that maybe aren't as into farming, um, <laughs> though more simply put, I think it's fundamentally, the mind shift is, you know, I always ask people in training or when I interact with folks, I'm like, have you, I ask them, have you ever met an individual at any point in your lifetime that you think wakes up in the morning and actively decides like you know what I I really think I'm I'm going to fail today. I'm going to let the people around me down. I'm going to make sure that I I um disappoint everybody that I come in contact with today. I don't I don't know that I have and when I I've asked this question over and over again and when people pause and recognize that that like people don't when when they are given the means and the opportunity Every human being will choose success over failure every single time. And I think as managers and leaders, if we can get to a place where we recognize that and we believe that deeply, how we show up for our people mm-hmm. changes. And right. when you start showing up with that mindset, trust start will start to come because you're not trying to fix them or blame them or anything. You start to show up realizing that you are in service of them, of their growth, of their performance. And that is the bridge that starts to build trust. You know, I, I, I fully believe or buy into what you're saying and this idea that, you know, we see what we get, right? Mm-hmm. So if you look at something and expect bad, that's what you get. I mean, if you think about with kids or with if any any kind of relationship, if you're looking for what you focus on increases. So this idea that we have a mindset um, with like is a belief that orients the way we handle situations. Um, if we don't shift that, if we can't pause long enough to shift that, then we kind of blindly walk through life and don't really see the potential of those that are around us. So how, do you, how does one grow a cultivation mindset and avoid those defeating cycles of entrapment where you, you just really, you see what you get and it's a continual cycle? Well, I think to your point, it starts with, it starts with really checking in on your mindset. It starts there, right? So you have to sort of first arrive at this place where you're like, okay, I believe that people would choose success over failure if they had the means and opportunity. From there, then there's, I, I'd say, two things that that are really important, and this is tactically important. Number one is um, making sure that you're really, really clear with people about what's expected of them at work, right? So it's, for me, the golden rule of management is what I teach here, which is um, if it matters, put it in writing. So when it comes to expectations about your performance or you know what good looks like, um, um, expectations about behavior, right? How are we going to do our work? Expectations about what you should expect from me as your manager. How are we going to communicate? All of that should be very explicitly um, detailed, written down, discussed with the employee to calibrate that. So when you have clear expectations, now the employee knows where they're going, right? They knows they know what's expected. I think the second thing, the second piece to make sure you don't fall into a trap is that if you are working under this cultivation mindset and we're, we're accepting that this you know, growth and performance are natural, they're the default setting for people, when things go wrong, 
if an employee is underperforming or if an employee is behaving poorly, right, not the way that they, they should be, then you know that if they had what they need, and that might be clarity about what's expected, it might be feedback about how they're doing, if they had what they needed, they would be doing it. And so it is not their fault. They don't need to be fixed. What needs to be fixed is you, as the leader, as the manager, need to figure out, diagnose what's missing, right? What's missing? Do that work. And it's such, an, it's such a liberating thing as a manager. I know it doesn't feel liberating because you have to first accept accountability. Say, I am accountable for my employee's performance, period. And if you start there, then when they're not performing, then the first question you say, okay, what, what do they need they don't have? What obstacle are they facing that I need to remove for them? Like, what do I need to do? And when you approach the employee with that approach, changes the conversation completely. It's not confrontational. They're not, they don't need to be defensive about it because you're there to help. Um, now, I'm not sugar, I, you know, that doesn't mean that there aren't going to be situations where you have people that there's some hard conversations sure, that you course, need to have right. with, but... Most of the time, it completely transforms that relationship, and you're truly in a relationship with the employee where you're trying to help them succeed. I think, too, that it, it just feels better to expect the best of others and to not, to not be in that space where you're looking for that negative impact. I think, you know, so the last several years um, have been just difficult for, you know, internationally, across the world. Um, and, you know, we've faced challenges that seemed impossible. We've came together. And we really have experienced a collective at Lampernierce in particular. I've been so um, blessed with the team that we have that has come together, that has really um, looked at how we can lift each other up. And part of the reason we wanted to engage you with the um, leadership training was that we um, adopted that hybrid work policy, and we wanted to make sure that we were building equity across to all of our systems in how we manage staff. But, but people are tired. I mean, there's a collective weariness in our community. And, and the world has changed, and it, and it continues to change. Now we have the news of the recession. Interest rates are affecting um, everyone, the, the gap in what people can afford. The uh, inflation is hitting um, food and energy costs higher that impact um, lower-income folks more. And so there's just, there's just a lot going on. So how do you, how would you navigate this, or how would you propose um, leaders should navigate this space that we're in now? It, is it any different than it was a couple years ago? I think it's, well, it's different in the sense that we have two years of, of trauma built up. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that we've really done the work yet to deal with that. And so I think that that means that anything that's coming yet, it's sort of you're putting trauma on top of trauma or you're putting challenge on top of like you're already feeling exhausted and I still have unsettled. I haven't done the grieving I needed to do for all the stuff that's changed or people that have been lost or, 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 right? There's a lot, a lot to grieve. And so I don't personally, and I don't have any crystal ball that's any different than anybody else, I don't think we can expect a world where you know, people talk about emerging to a new normal. Mm -hmm. And I think the new normal is living in disruption, right? The pace of, I mean, we didn't even talk about climate 
change, you know, crisis that are every, you know, happening everywhere. We're not talking about political unrest and political polarization. There's just, we live in a world that is constantly on edge, and I don't know that that's going to change. And so as a leader, you have to understand, you know, when you think about it, back to relationships. So, you know, if the core unit of work is the relationship, and I believe it is. So the employee's relationship with work, the employee's relationship with the manager, I think are two sort of fundamental, the core unit. If you put it in the context of a relationship, if you have someone in your life who you know is already been through some tough stuff, probably has some tough stuff ahead of them, they're trying to navigate some heavy things, maybe they're tired, maybe their workload is too heavy, maybe all these other things, what would you do? You would check in with them a lot. Mm -hmm. You would be having, like, you'd be reaching out. You'd be checking in. You'd be talking to them about how are you really. And you'd, you'd want to get at what's really going on. And so I think, I think the message that is really important to hear for leaders, I think, right now and moving forward is that at all levels, we have got to equip our leaders and managers and even employees, too, with each other, but particularly leaders and managers, to be having those more meaningful conversations, the conversations mm -hmm. that really matter with their people um, on some frequency, because the other thing we can't do, and I think we repeatedly fall in this trap, is we're always looking for a, a solution that applies across all the employees the same, right? We want to, um, as my as my mentor, uh, Cy Wakeman, always used to say, we always want something we can spread over all of our employees like peanut butter, right, mm -hmm. evenly. And the reality is every employee is different. Um, for all the reasons that you mentioned, there's a lot going on. And so the ability to have those conversations with the individual is the work of cultivation. Because when you have those conversations, they'll tell you where they're struggling, what they need, what they're wrestling with, what kind of support they need. Or maybe they're fine, and you can celebrate that they're fine, and you can turbocharge them. So, so I think that's really the work. I think that's where if we want to support people, we've got to be in it with them on a one-to-one -one basis, having better conversations that build connection and trust. You know, we had the, Jason and I had the opportunity to be on a panel at the CRE Summit this summer and really talking about what the future of work looks like from a commercial real estate perspective mm -hmm. and from an office perspective. And, and that's one of the reasons why we went to our hybrid work schedule, why we engaged Jason for training. But as this, um, the future of work paradigm shifted, many companies are realizing how they can produce, boost productivity and help curb burnout, which is what we're talking about, this trauma that we've been living through. But you have this equation, and engineers love a good equation, mm -hmm. um, but employee well-being times satisfaction times drive equals engagement. And you talked a, a bit about the well-being, how, how we need to care for each other, but why is this whole equation so important right now, Jason? Well, let's say... And I'll be very clear, just so that uh, I don't have the the engineers coming at me about this. That this is this is a a model, right? It's a teaching model based on twenty years of experience. Um, so this isn't how your engagement score is calculated, but it's how engagement is created at an organizational level. And it's well-being times satisfaction times drive equals employee engagement. And employee engagement, just for those that are maybe not as familiar with that term. Employee engagement is the degree to which an employee is willing and able to perform up to their potential. So it's all about, are we creating an environment where people will willingly give us their best, right? That they can be at their best. And so 
what's important about the equation is that it's a balance. It's a multiplication equation by design because um, what I've seen over and over and over um, throughout the years is we over-index on some things, right? So we might, you know, well, and the jokes are always made, right? And especially in commercial real estate, like beautiful space and ping pong tables and, you know, like all the jokes mm -hmm. go into that. And that might drive satisfaction up high. But if people are burnt out or if they're dealing with some really serious challenges to their well-being, if their well-being is diminished, that well-being will cancel out any investment you make in satisfaction. Or same thing with drive. I can have highly engaged, really happy employees that are well, but if they don't know, drive is all about do you understand what matters and are you motivated to do it? So if I'm not pointed at the right thing and I'm not motivated to do the right work, then that cancels it out. And so I think right now that the, the beauty of this equation, well-being, satisfaction, and drive, is understanding that you have to keep your eye on all three of these um, as you are thinking about whatever work kind of situation you set up, whether it's remote first or remote only, hybrid or all in person, you have to be thinking about all three of those because if you take your eye off any one of those, and traditionally well-being has been one we haven't been watching, mm -hmm. um, it will have catastrophic impacts on retention, performance, all the things that we really um, are trying to facilitate. Thank you for that, Jason. And it's really important as we think about growth and as we think about how we want to be as an organization, how we want to be as a community, is really to, to put that well-being first. And it's something very forefront on my mind. And at Lampert Nearson, we're dedicated to work environment founded on inclusion, empowerment, and respect. To further build this environment, we realized that a transparent diversity and inclusivity vision was essential. We have to really um, put our money where our mouth is, if you will, to have that foundation to, to fall back on. Inclusion requires action, rigorous transparency, and following through on our commitments. In August of this year, we added a sixth core value. We foster an equitable and inclusive culture that values diverse ideas and backgrounds. Really, we tie all of our strategy, all of our um, how we move things forward, I tie it back to our purpose statement and our core values. So having that as a core value was incredibly important to continue along that mission of building inclusivity into our organization. What are the very, for, from your perspective, what are the various ways that leaders can ensure an inclusive culture and parity of experience for their people? Well, I think, again, well, number one, kudos uh, to the work that you and the team have done here, because I think what you just described is really, really vital. And I think it's a piece that often is getting overlooked, or it's a piece that we've seen really sort of a difference between those who really believe it and those who just say the right words, right, over the last two years. Since the George Floyd murder, you saw, you know, a lot of organizations that quickly sort of put words on the wall or on the website, we're going to be all about this. And then two years later, you go talk to employees, and they're like, yeah, I don't know whatever happened to that. And so it is really about making it part core of who you are and centering that conversation in every decision you make, how we how we're not only building our workplace, but how we're showing up in our community and supporting our community, how we're showing up with clients. Um, and one of the things that I think, at least for me, was profoundly helpful in understanding this is that in, this goes back to sort of mindset a little bit, but I think it'll help people find their way to the things that, that really matter in their organization is this concept in social science that they've studied called the curb cut effect. 
and you know curb cut you know we think about it, we all are familiar with curb cuts you know the especially the, engineers yeah especially <laughs> engineers engineers know curb cuts and right. so um when you what they have found is they studied that you know when curb cuts became required you know the idea was initially right they were doing it to support it was a handicap accessibility to make it safer right to travel mm-hmm. but what they found was that while the curb cut was designed to service this group of of people that were disabled in whatever different ways or differently abled in different ways, it had all of these other secondary benefits, Mm -hmm. right? It made it safer to walk in general, people pushing strollers or whatever other kind of, like there were a lot of benefits and what they, what they have found. And, and then they've, they've looked for this in other areas that the curb cut effect basically says that when you are thinking about any kind of effort, if you can center the experience of the most marginalized member of that group, mm-hmm. so the person that is the most likely to be excluded, the most likely to not, you know, the person that is not like the majority, if you can center their experience and design an experience that works well for them, everyone benefits. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you think what would the curb cut effect look like in? Like compensation is a big equity conversation. It's like, okay, well, who is most likely to be, you know, who's our most marginalized person? Who's the person or the people that are most likely to be underpaid or not paid fairly or whatever? Let's solve it for that case, because if we can solve it for that case, then we will solve it for everybody. The easier example is meetings, Right, because we even talked about this, I think, in the training. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> in meetings now, we're all trying to navigate through, like, well, when we were all remote, there was some some research that suggests and some experience, just our own experience that suggested that actually when everybody's remote, I mean, now meetings, right, there were still bad meetings. But in terms of inclusivity, it actually oftentimes felt more inclusive because now right the size of the box on zoom for the ceo is the same as the size of the box for the brand new employee that's been there one week Mm -hmm. right so it levels the playing field it brings people closer together all of this but now as we're emerging especially for hybrid workplaces where people are sometimes at work or not you know another place at the office or not when you're designing okay if we're going to have people that are both in person and remote like who is the most marginalized person? What's well, going to be the person that is most remote? If you're going to have somebody that's most remote, that's not going to have video, for example. Well, how do we design the meeting experience optimally for that person? And if we can get that right, it's going to be a better meeting for everybody. So that that is the best advice I can offer because it applies to almost every situation. The curb cut effect. Go Google it. There's lots of stuff out there about it. You know, I just finished reading um, Gallup, the CEO of Gallup just um, issued a new book or wrote a new book about why people are so unhappy. It's, um, and, it, you know, Gallup does these international studies on unhappiness and with all different types of measures. They have their employee, employee engagement um, studies. They have the studies that around, around the world. They're interviewing folks. And they, they talked about the difference between face-to-face interviews versus phone interviews, with, which they had to institute after the pandemic started. And they, they got different, in some cultures, they got different results because the face-to-face, people felt more comfortable. This is what they're surmising. People felt more comfortable to really be honest. It's easier when you're not in person to kind of gloss over. So mm-hmm. I think that as leaders, we need to be really aware of that that piece of it as well, that 
making sure that we have that connection. And if it is remote or if it's virtual, that you are pausing long enough to really check in with your team and find out how they're really doing. Because it's, it's easier to connect with folks when you're in person yeah. on that emotional level, I think, than, than, than remotely. Another really interesting point that they had at the end of the book, they talked about recommendations for um, community leaders and corporate leaders. And I, I wholeheartedly buy into this idea, and you talked about this, looking at the, the, the curb effect, but looking at the most marginalized person. And then if that person benefits, then everyone benefits. Mm-hmm. It's really about that it's not a zero-sum game, that you can grow the pie, and everybody benefits from that. And they, they talked about that very idea that, there's been some push and pull in the corporate world around does that really have impact, but what they're seeing and what they're recommending is this really does have impact when you when you look at the value you add, when you look at your community, and you look at it as a whole, and it's really that well-being of your whole community. That's where everyone can thrive, whether it's through engagement, employee engagement, or your community engagement. So it's really just touching into the fact that we there is a lot of unhappiness out there right now. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's and it's so for so many different reasons, and so how and what can we do as leaders? Um, we can start right where we're at, which is what we've done with our diversity and equity d- dive in. Yep. Is really start where we are and look at the work that we're doing. And I think that as we think about as as leaders now, as we are heading into 2023, which I can't believe it's almost the end of the year, but it's getting there. Uh, you know, really, what can we do? It's really just having that that human connection right where you're at. And then how can you make that better? And how can you make each one of your relationships a little bit better? And then 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 everybody benefits. There's I read this article about smiling while you run. I know you're a runner. Mm-hmm. Smiling while you run. And it makes a difference at the mm-hmm. end of your run how you feel. Mm-hmm. And I think if we could... Uh, um, I personally could apply that as I'm driving. That would make the world a better place because <laughs> people would be appreciative of that. So, you know, just this this idea that we we really truly have to take care of each other. We don't have to, but the, our lives and the people around us, our lives can be better when we do that. Yeah, I it's I I fundamentally believe one of the things that drives me to do the work that that I do is that I. I believe like clear down in my in my as deep in, in me as you can that if we can change work, we can change the world. Because I think the you know, work is one of the experiences that we all still share in common. It's one of the very few things that virtually everybody um, has some experience around. And if we at work, for example, were to get really serious about and I think inclusion is a great um, example of this. I think well-being is an example of this. I think there's. I wish we would spend a lot more time teaching people how to be in relationship with one another, which is increasingly what my work is about. How to have better conversations, how to engage with people at a at a more in a more authentic way. When you can do that, and and we have the ability. Like we can force people to learn how to be better in relationships at work. We can require them to go to training. We could, in our in our new hire orientation, we could teach well-being skills, or we could teach people a daily gratitude practice, or we could teach all these little things that are very simple and they are rooted in social science that has that has proven out there are real benefits in lots of different ways, and that benefit. 
will not only spill over to work, but the thing that I get when I say work, you know, change work, change the world, it's when, when you at Lampernearson create a better work experience for people, people leave at the end of the day better or with more energy or happier or whatever. They go back and they're better spouses and parents and community members and neighbors. And boy, imagine if we did that at scale, right? It's such a huge opportunity that we have in front of us. So I, I am excited that uh, Gallup is putting that message uh, out in the world because I do think it's bigger than just maximizing our quarterly return or trying to grow our profit. Um, if we build great workplaces, yes, you'll get all of that, but you'll also build better lives, better communities, a better future for everybody. And I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it really ties back into, for me, our core, our, our purpose statement about leaving mm-hmm. a legacy. It's just really how do we leave a legacy in the work that we do, and in that work that we do includes people. So making sure we, we are factoring that in. Jason, I want to thank you for your time and your expertise, and could you share with us what you and the folks at Cultivate are up to? Yeah, it's continuing, I think, to to really what we've been thinking about a lot is you know, how can we get people the tools they need to be in in these conversations that matter with their people more frequently? And so it's new training programs. The one that we're probably most excited about right now is um, we're rolling out a what we're calling an executive accelerator, which is just a sort of facilitated experience that an executive team could um, could host to have me come in and help them think about or help them sort of take a peek into what cultivation mindset looks like and what it means and how this might look in your organization. Because I think until you can flip that switch, mm-hmm. it's really hard to do the work at a lower level. And so it's really a way to kind of accelerate um, for executives to kind of accelerate their thinking and push potentially where how they're thinking about this and showing up in their work um, forward in a, in, a, in a big way so that then that can cascade down. Yeah, that's great. Well, best of luck to you, and we appreciate you coming in. Thank you for taking the time. Thanks for inviting me. That's all we have for today. Thank you for tuning in to the Legacy Listening Podcast with your host, Nancy Predahl. I'd like once again to thank our guest, Jason Lorenzen, for joining us today. It was a pleasure and honor to have you with us. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. Like, share, and tune in next quarter as we continue the conversation. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.